0: Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your on-stage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to SimpleCast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. I had the great pleasure of talking to Sandley Dunlop who talks about the value of myth in building a compelling talk. And he has these ideas of blue versus red rhetoric, and you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out what they are. And how, unfortunately, us technical types often tend towards the blue rhetoric side of things and bore our audiences silly. So if you want to find a way to justify binge-watching The Lord of the Rings yet again, this is the podcast for you. Sandy, it is great to have you here today on the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast. I'm really delighted to have you. You have this great story about uh, two speeches that you saw by the president of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, and one of our greatest rock stars, Bob Geldo. So tell us about how that went.
1: Well, it was uh, just before Christmas and it was um, a business magazine hosting its um annual awards and it was in uh the four seasons and there was a packed room about 400 people and um two people got up to give guest of honor speeches and one was uh michael d and the other was bob Geldof, and um They were both extremely competent and well able to hold an audience very familiar with that. uh, that, So you weren't dealing with anything other than a complete confidence and competence. As one would expect. Yeah, well, yes, certainly for those two. But uh, on the way home, I had enjoyed both. But I have to say, I couldn't remember one thing that Michael D had said and it wasn't that there was far too much drink consumed whereas bob i still remember what he was talking about to this day okay what the difference was was that michael d was speaking in an abstracted in other words his language was full of abstractions and academic words i did know quite a lot of them because i read a lot and he was certainly putting an argument together and in a way, he, what he was following was a form of persuasion or rhetoric that would be very familiar to anyone who'd been to third level or fourth level or even down there leaving, which is that it's built on an assumption that if you string a series of facts together in a sequence that uh, you've been clear on your starting assumptions and that it reaches a conclusion, that people will follow the logic and, um, be persuaded by the argument. And the point is, it is an argument, and it is about persuasion. And um, I'm really interested in this because of my work with branding and global branding. And I find it useful to call that form of persuasion blue rhetoric. Blue rhetoric, okay. Blue. Whereas... The form of discourse that the uh, venerable Bob Geldof used was purely storytelling. And while I couldn't remember anything the president had said half an hour later, I remember to this day what Bob Geldof was talking about. And what it was about was his own experience as a young Black Rock student going to see the bank manager to see if he could get some funding for an idea that, um, to me, sounded a very plausible idea but would have been a bit of a stretch at that time. And He just told in graphic detail the experience that he had of what was essentially a cultural clash between an aspiring entrepreneur and uh, someone who was um, in a corporate context.
0: If you know about Geldof at all, you can you can imagine the scene. I'm sure.
1: Well, well, that that's partly the the thing is you you could see it, but not only that. The way oral storytelling works is people are in are interested in it. Not, for example, if it's a mythic story because they want a history lesson on the Iron Age island or Bronze Age island or Neolithic island, but more they're listening to it in terms of today, and. So, in a way, I could resonate with that. So, I bring my experiences to Bob's experiences. So, it's both his story, but it's my story kind of reflected in his story. And so, first of all, he had an extremely entertaining and graphic way of telling it, but it was a, a very listenable to. And I think the more important thing is that, that it was so memorable. I call that red rhetoric. Red rhetoric. Uh, Okay. I like it. So what I'm particularly interested in now is how red rhetoric is and has been used very successfully in two high profile. One was an election, the 2016 US election, and the second was the uh, UK referendum.
0: Sandy, let's unpack this a little bit. It sounds almost like a superpower, right? Because... You know, a lot of technical talks or speeches, which would be the type of ones that I would often be subjected to, tend to be of the form blue rhetoric, as you say. Yeah. And yet the red rhetoric uh, sounds much more enticing. It sounds like a great way to leave the audience with something valuable. And yet I would counter that by saying, well, hold on a sec. You know, Bob Geldof is, is a, a talented lyricist. He's a genius, a storyteller in his own way but help me understand how do i go from being I'm, I'm a dry boring technology person to to getting a little bit of that magic
1: okay well let's take one of of your technical colleagues who died not too long ago steve jobs
0: yeah and yeah. He,
1: he had the problem of launching the apple macintosh way back in 1984 and nobody knew what the macintosh was they barely knew what category it was they certainly didn't know the um The brand Apple. And um, so essentially, there was a lot of explaining to do. In other words, what the product was and how it worked. But he chose to spend his non existent marketing budget uh, because he wouldn't have had that much money. uh, But he spent a million pounds on creating an advert. And the advert was um, uh, the iconic uh, 1984 Super Bowl ad. Yes, yes. Which uh, many people know. It was only shown once, but somehow everybody's seen it. It was pure red rhetoric. It, it had nothing to do with what the product was. It was. The product wasn't mentioned until the end. And essentially, it, it showed a bunch of people in, a, in gray prison suits. And this woman comes in, an athlete in red shorts and a white uh, top vest, with a hammer, and there's a guy haranguing the audience, and it was done by Ridley Scott, who was a brilliant filmmaker. Of course, yes. And, uh, and she throws the hammer at the screen. And the point yeah. is, um, viewers know exactly what the point was, which was it was essentially setting up a choice. And the choice is, are you a boring old corporate type, or are you this cool young rebel? Uh, figure who um, is taking on the status quo, taking on the authorities, taking on authoritarian figures.
0: And not a technical fact in sight or a logical conclusion.
1: Not a, in sight, no, because, I mean, the point is that, um, and this is where neuroscience comes in, there's a cognitive faculty in the brain and there's um, a more emotional one. And that's the what uh, technical term is the amygdala. And if you can tap into the, the the amygdala, the flight, fright, and longing, you're far more effective at connecting. And, and I, in this book I'm writing called Rebirth of Brand, it's organized into 10 thunders. The thunder being the sound that you hear amidst and above the noise, because these days there's just so much noise on social media and everywhere else. Why is it that there's a sound that everyone hears? And borrowing from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, uh, where he has 10 thunders, I have 10 thunders. Oh, very good. (laughs) It's it's, uh, 10 great thinkers explaining how to stand out with your messaging. Before we get to that, there's
0: a hurdle that one has to overcome as a technical person, because the word rhetoric would be associated with misrepresentation. It would be associated with not telling the facts as they are.
1: Well, I didn't mean it in that sense. Uh, so it, within a technical context, rhetoric uh, as a term is used for for uh, misrepresentation or lie. Well, let's use the word persuasion. It's not so much that it is in fact, that rhetoric is in fact
0: those things. I rather like the word myself more just that anything that isn't bone dry facts is often seen from a technical perspective, as, as being less than honourable, perhaps.
1: Then you've got a kind of obsession around the blue.
0: Yeah, necessarily, right? I mean, you've demonstrated through a, an anecdote, perhaps, but I'm, I'm sure there are many more, that red rhetoric, red persuasion, is effective at communicating a message. And the 1984... Apple commercial is is another great example.
1: It kind of depends what you're trying to do and where you are in the messaging process. Because in the case of uh, Steve Jobs, um, he had 30 seconds or 60 seconds to, to persuade people. And the issue is, how did he choose to use that time? My first two thunders are relevant here because yeah. one of the things you learn from marketing science and the work of this um, Australian academic, Byron Sharp, is he's a great line, which is advertising's most effective when it doesn't try to persuade. And the second comes from neuroscience and it basically says people feel before they think and you cannot change feelings with facts. So your description of your fellow tech people is that they tend to favor the factual. And I think, for example, if you're sorting out a bug in a software system, you're trying to solve a problem. And in that particular case, red rhetoric isn't going to help you. You do need the precision and the clarity and the accuracy to diagnose and then resolve the problem. But if you're trying to get an audience on board and you don't have very much time, uh, and the matters are complex, one of the first things is how do you actually get them on board? And the thing that um, both Donald Trump, the 45th president, and people like uh, Nigel Farage and um, uh, Boris Johnson have been very good at is that they use red rhetoric. And essentially, for those people that are not interested in politics, or in the case of a supermarket, don't really care what of the five fifty thousand products that they buy, they're going to give it very little time. So people go into the, the polling booth and give it very little time. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is the messaging that um, is very effective at um, getting people on your side so that they're emotionally with you, because if they're emotionally with you, they're going to listen to the facts in a supportive way. And if you haven't got them on board, they're going to be predisposed to dismiss the facts. So it's not saying that there is no role for blue rhetoric uh, and blue persuasion and blue accuracy. Indeed, if you're running a country or solving complex technical problems, That is what is most needed. The issue is if you're in another situation where you do not have very much time and you want to get an audience, and that could well be public speaking.
0: Absolutely. A 20-minute conference talk is a very, very, very short amount of time,
1: really. Well, and especially if people have listened all day, Mm -hmm. and also they've listened to PowerPoint, which um, I've heard described as the killer of storytelling. Because if all you're doing is putting up a bullet list after bullet list, it's tedious. And the more words that there are on it, the more tedious it is. So it's presumably what you're interested in.
0: Yeah, well, that brings us to our next question, right? Which is, Let's say we we accept that red rhetoric is useful given the context, right? If you have a genuine message, you might be using human psychology to get that message across, but it is effective. So the next question is, I have a technical position, perhaps as Steve Jobs did. His computer was better, but how do I use red rhetoric? it's a great idea, but how do I start?
1: Well, I mean, it all depends on the context and the circumstance and the brief, because what I would say is that there's potentially a story behind anything. The issue is that if you do not know how to storify or narrativize something, you don't tend to think like that. And one of the results of a technical or a scientific education is, it's begins almost with a, well, a very strong predisposition to the, the uncovering of facts and the utilization of facts. So there's almost nothing in a engineer or software engineer or techies training that uh, predisposes them to Think narratively, unless they happen to be a uh, practitioner of um, video games and play World of Warcraft or something. They then are using, well, probably some computer skills to uh, master some world. But Mm. the point essentially is that why they're boring or tedious, why a technical person would be boring or tedious would be because. They're simply using the form of discourse that they're trained in. And that, in the context of a conference or something, is, is simply tedious. So there's always anything can be narrativized. Anything can be turned into a story. Or as uh, Roland Barthes says, anything can be mythic. And by that, I mean exciting. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I did a lot of work. I've done a lot of work with Unilever over the years. And I remember this um, Thai chairman, the chairman of Unilever in Southeast Asia, even managed to have us in tears over abstract um, accounting, you know, the, the, what profit meant to the business. And um, in a way, what we're talking about is a skill that in many ways might be alien to any any good technical person, any good um, techie, has very little training in the arts of storytelling. And indeed, in the way you describe it, the term rhetoric means an untruth. It's sort of indicative of a sort of inherent suspicion of that form of... Um,
0: oh, yes. Go to, go to any tech company and you'll, <laughs> you'll find marketing. Yeah. Marketing people are viewed with, with a, a deep level of suspicion. Yeah. Where do you start on this journey? You're technically a person, you, you've been given the task of giving a conference talk. Maybe your boss has asked you. You're reasonably comfortable with the mechanics of speaking in public, let's say. But you're sitting down in front of your empty PowerPoint. And inevitably, there has to be PowerPoint. You're looking at this blank sheet, and you're going, "Okay, I, I need to storify. I need to create a narrative. What next?"
1: Well, uh, I mean, there's PowerPoint and PowerPoint. I mean, uh, you can use PowerPoint and fill it up with um, six pictures, so with nice, attractive builds on it, um, so it isn't necessarily a bulleted list. So, at its simplest level, what a speaker can do is use their own personal story, their own anecdote, and talk about the journey that they're on. I wrote a book that once, there about a study we had done in Unilever about the real innovators, because someone who does something new is invariably a hero who sets out from the home ground to make something new happen. And they follow a call to an adventure. So it's describing your project potentially as an adventure. And on that adventure, you have to leave the safety of the home ground. And um, the minute you make the commitment, because you have to commit to the journey, there's no going back. Uh, like Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the yes. Rings, <laughs> you have to leave the safety of the Shire because Gandalf has come and said, you've got to save the world, Frodo. We're off on a journey. And the minute you commit, guides and helpers arrive. And what you then have to do is find new skills and new strengths and what you have, because you're crossing a threshold of adventure into an unknown world. Yeah. So do you see how I'm describing what could be a project, but using a far more dramatic language. It's every superhero movie ever. Well, it's the structure. Of, my book was based on Joseph Campbell's Hero Journey. Yes,
0: yeah, this is this classic mythological structure, right?
1: Yes, exactly. It's Luke Skywalker. Yes. And then Luke had to confront the demon Darth Vader. Well, who were the demons and Darth Vaders? Well, that was those people down the road in another part of the business who treated me as if I was bad news. But, I mean, you don't have to say that, but people know exactly who you're talking about. All middle management who basically uh, were frightened by this new development. So, again, the beauty of the metaphorical way of speaking is you can talk about Darth Vader, who might be in the office next door to you. (laughs) But you'd get away with it. (laughs) Get away with it, because if he says... You were talking about me and said, oh, bullshit. No, I yeah. wasn't. I was just talking about my own internal fears. Or, of
0: or, the, accounting or, or, <laughs> or the accounting department exactly, or something.
1: accounting department, exactly. Or procurement or something. Wonderful. No, so the point really is anything can be narrativized.
0: Well, we're not talking here about literally interpreting Star Wars and using that in a very literal way to explain what you're doing. We're, I think we're talking more about taking the essence of that hero narrative.
1: Well, yes, you are. But on the other hand, if you had a favored narrative, or if you were mad into Game of Thrones, or you were mad into hockey or rugby or something, the whole point is that the language of metaphor and the language of myth is the language of storytelling. So the point is to metaphorize it or or mythify it. So what you could say is, Oh, we were like the Fellowship at the Ring, where we met up in Rivendell, and there we were a motley crew around a table, and we had elves and dwarves, and they hated each other like purchasing and and uh, engineering and quality control. They they treated as others, so they hated each other, and they hadn't talked to each other for nine months. But we realized that in the interest of destroying the Ring to save the world, we had to get on with each other, and that's what happened to us. And then people get what you're talking about. And there's a beauty in the myth. There's an ambiguity in it that you don't have to be so literal. Uh, you don't have to name your boss. And if he challenges you and says, why were you betraying me like "Ignore, You can always know, say, so oh, I was just talking about the doors in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah.
0: If we go back to Steve Jobs, I mean, you know, he was a genius. But if you think about that 1984 advert, it was a very strong suggestion, but it was nonetheless all still suggestion. It, it relied upon a background knowledge of George Orwell, perhaps. But at the same time, it, it's more that it kind of rhymed with the ideas, perhaps, if you want to express it that way.
1: He had a really, really good sense of what a brand was. And a brand is not a product. Uh, a brand is essentially a, a personality or an archetype. And that archetype stands for certain things. And what motivates us beyond our, once our basic needs and appetites are met, is we're left with a kind of longing or a a hunger for something. And we don't know what it is. But when we see it, we feel it. So, for example, the American nation at Super Bowl come into that Super Bowl and they're not thinking about Apple computers or they don't even know what it is. And suddenly this ad comes on and they realize that they are asked to make a choice between being a boring old corporate type in a gray thing that looks like a prison uniform or a sexy young thing who takes on the status quo and suddenly... They've got a longing to make a statement, and uh, by the way, it um, was another ad uh, called "The Crazy Ones" that he showed, uh, which was basically saying, "Here's to the crazy ones." And and I, I, in writing my book, I put that up as an illustration, and it got 150,000 views just very quickly. Yeah, yeah. and I'd only just started uh, putting it out because essentially, what it was creating was the longing to be a crazy one and a longing. In a world where people are feeling uh, deadened by corporate life and by the pressures of life and by the pressures of having a mortgage and three kids and, a, and all these things to pay off, that Steve Jobs was really offering um, a vision that you know little you can change the world. And suddenly, I find in the middle of the Super Bowl, I'm thinking, little old me can change the world, and. I longed to do that. But I didn't come into the Super Bowl thinking I longed to save the world. I wanted to know whether the New England Patriots had beat the 49ers. So the point is that great storytelling evokes a longing or um, articulates a longing. And um, the great thing about the archetypes and myths of world storytelling is they are the language of our longings. That's why we go to the cinema. That um, they take you on an emotional roller coaster where you recognise that uh, you're feeling frustrated or angry or left behind or something, and then you know that, that's what Trump does with his uh, evocation of the strongman. You know that he, he he mirrors to American society the structure of a cowboy film that you in Boise, Idaho, or. Topeka, Kansas has been left behind by the world and there are forces more powerful than anything you can take care of. And there's no effective judiciary or government because it's all rotten who can take care of you. Only I, John Wayne or Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry can rescue you from your despair. I am your
0: man. If you apply the, the mythic structure to seek a narrative for the technical position you're trying to explain or espouse, this idea of branding, is this another layer on top of that, or, or is it a foundation?
1: Well, I think it uh, depends what you think a brand is. That you could say an, an, an individual is a brand. Uh, you know a, a techie in LinkedIn or Bank of Ireland is, is potentially uh, also a brand, and their department is a brand. but if they don't think about it in that way, then a, a bank is a brand and Banking is a brand. Uh, the issue is that if you want to uh, change how people feel about you, you aren't going to do it by arguing with them. You aren't going to be changing their opinions by blue rhetoric. If they've decided that techies are boring, or if they've decided that banks are a shower of somethings, you aren't going to change that feeling with a fact. You have to come up with a better story. And that, in a way, is the problem of the Democrats. They are pretty devoid of any decent narrative. And that would be the same with any of your techie friends. If they are a department that people have views about, they're not going to change them with uh, facts. You're going to change it with a better story. Or indeed, if you can craft an experience through good work, uh, then they might change their opinion, but then you storify that, you tell that story in a way that's dramatic and engaging and uh, and and um, interesting, and certainly appropriating. Uh, the world's great narrative structures or the world's or the culture's great myth and metaphor systems.
0: It's a useful mechanism to get started.
1: Well, it is the mechanism. It It is what has been used. So, for example, you could describe yourself as the Irish rugby team up against it, against the All Blacks, and you create a rolling mall with people joining and people leaving and people falling over and And you're in an impossible situation in that you're 10 yards from your own line and, uh, there are five minutes to go and you're three points behind. And, you know, you're dramatizing it using a metaphor system that people get. And in order to do that, it's handy to, um, have recourse to what storytellers, we're all, we're all potentially storytellers. The issue is that the professional training of a software engineer, or an accountant, um, or a procurement person, or a scientist, almost drips the red rhetoric out of you. It trains you not not only not to use it, but to have an inherent suspicion of it. Sandy, we have sadly
0: run out of time, but you've left our audience with a wonderful excuse, which I'm certainly going to take up, to um, binge watch even more Fantasy and sci fi on Netflix.
1: Thank you so much. This has been really, 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 really useful. If you do, Richard, look at it in terms of its underlying structures. Yes. Look at the second eye. Follow my um, campaign, Rebirth of Brand, on LinkedIn under Sandy Dunlop or the Alexander Dunlop. So you get a post every day, um, every day of the working week, and you'll be a lot wiser as to how to take advantage of uh, red rhetoric in your career as a techie if you follow Rebirth of Brand campaign on LinkedIn, Sandy Dunlop, LinkedIn, Alexander Dunlop, and Register.
0: Fantastic. Sandy, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Okay. Thank you, Richard.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with Gig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgeek.com podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master. a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, Simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.